When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Our Minds is a podcast about the teenage experience, made by teens for teens. There's a lot on our minds, and talking about it helps. On Our Minds Season 4 is produced by PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs in collaboration with KUOW's Radioactive Youth Media. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 34, How to Raise an Adult, a conversation with author Julie Lithcott-Hames. Now I'm excited about this one. Julie Lithcott-Hames is joining us today. She's a New York Times bestselling author of How to Raise an Adult, which led to her TED Talk now viewed more than 5 million times. Her second book is an award-winning prose poetry memoir, Real American. It illustrates her experience as a Black and biracial person in white spaces. But her latest book, out just this week, is called Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. She was also, in a previous life, a corporate lawyer and, at Stanford, the Dean of Freshmen. Hey, Julie, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. We are thrilled to have you with us. So actually, let's talk for a minute about your new book. What a great topic. Tell us about it. This book is a response to the pleas coming out of the millennial generation. I don't know how to adult. I don't want to adult. I'm scared to adult. I have been rooting for this batch of young folks to make their way confidently down the path of their choosing for a long, long time. And this book is me trying to simulate what it's like to be in a safe cozy conversational space with a trusted person who's just older and a little bit farther down the path of life than you. So it's a compassionate offering to a generation of young folks who I'm who I'm totally rooting for. And who you've worked very closely with, you know, in Stanford and, and you know this population well. And you're also a mom, right, Julie? I am. I have a 21-year-old son and a 19-year-old daughter very much in the throes of trying to hashtag adult. <laughs> and the book, just so we say the title, because I love the title, is Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. That's right. I mean, it's it's crafted, I suppose, by the publishing folks as a sequel. Uh, the first book was How to Raise an Adult on the Harm of Helicopter Parenting, on the Impact on Children of an Over-Involved Parenting Style. This is in some ways a clapback to that, if you will. It's for young people, your turn, how to be an adult. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, it's interesting because I feel like the adults can't be adults these days. Um, so it's great to, to have this book right now. But, you know, we're looking right now at our country and 
it just, race has really boiled over. One of the things we've seen recently is the coverage of violence against the Asian community. We saw in the summer as well uh, with Black Lives Matter. There are a lot of parents who might not be Black, who might not be Asian, but they really want to raise kids who understand race. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? I think I would say, first of all, um, don't say you're colorblind. Don't say you see everybody as the same because we are not the same. This country was built on the premise that white folks were superior to everyone else. Know the history, know the history of what we did to Native Americans, know what we did to Africans and bringing them here and enslaving them, us, my ancestors. Um, know that the vestiges of those decisions made 400 years ago are very much still present in a racial hierarchy in America today. So we don't want to say we don't see color. What we want to do is appreciate that we are an incredibly diverse set of humans in this country, America, that people do have different lived experiences on the basis of their skin color, and that our differences may make us have different life experiences, and yet we are all humans deserving of being treated with dignity and kindness. So as parents, we ought to be watching the news and in an age-appropriate way, saying to our children, let's talk about what just happened in Atlanta. My heart goes out to Asian Americans um, and the Asian American community, broadly speaking. It must be terrifying to worry that you could be harmed simply because somebody doesn't like what you look like. You know, that's a conversation we ought to be having regardless of our race in in our homes today and last summer and, 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 and none mm. of this is new. Some people are awakening to it anew, which quite frankly, I have to say as a person of color is frustrating that some people have only just figured out in 2020 and 2021 that others of us are targeted for harm on the basis of what we look like. But hey, for those who are discovering it anew, welcome, get yourself up to speed. And most importantly, ask yourself, what are you going to do about it? Because I think we're all clear that complacency and sitting back and it's someone else's problem, that that is, that is no longer okay. So you're saying simply having a conversation about the news and what you're saying with your kids could be a, a huge first step. Absolutely. Also, be mindful of the media you're bringing into your house. Are you watching television shows with your kids that only reflect uh, folks who look like you? For, for way too long, white families have had the luxury of anytime you turn on the television to watch a, a sitcom or a drama with your kids, anytime you went to the movie theater, everything reflected back your own people. Only recently have we begun to see a rise in television and, and movie production of stories about that feature black and brown and Asian and Latinx and native folks as just authentic humans, not the sidekick stereotype um, one-off character alongside a white ensemble. This is why my Asian American friends cried during Crazy Rich Asians because it was just the overwhelming joy of seeing yeah. themselves on the screen as quote unquote normal, quote unquote regular people. And the reason we black folks cry during Black Panther because it's just this plethora of all different kinds of folks wearing dark skin, just being awesomely human. It's that normalization of those of us who have historically been marginalized and otherized 
that is starting to happen increasingly in the media and in in narratives in fiction and nonfiction and so on. So the times are a changing and that's good. And it requires a focus on an intentional willingness to talk about differences and differences in quality of life, differences in our experiences so that we can raise our young people to really know deep in their bones Every one of us is different, and yet we are exquisitely similar in that we yearn to be seen and loved and respected as we are. I love that, Julie. Thank you. I feel like we could do, I would want to do a whole entire podcast on that. We've got some questions, though, that we collected from families that I want to make sure that we bring your way. But thank you both for the specificity and the broadness of that answer. You know, the language that you gave us that we can use in our own homes, and then also the the zoom out and really putting in front of us how big, persistent, longstanding, and um, atmospheric this issue remains for us. Um, Okay, so you were the Dean of Freshmen at Stanford for nearly a decade and have a lot of experience with kids coming to college. What would you want parents to know about preparing kids for college life survival beyond just studying, beyond just hitting the books? What do they need to know? You don't want your kid to leave your home to go to college without confidence that they can ask for help when they need it. If we have overmanaged their lives, as we are wont to do, as I have done with my two kids for sure, um, they can emerge from our homes with a fantastically high GPA and all the right test scores and activities and sports on their resume, but feeling rather unfamiliar with the very human act of engaging with other humans to ask for help, to solve problems, to make choices, to deal with the bureaucracies of life, of which there are many. So that very basic skill, can they talk to a stranger? Let me flip that childhood norm on its head. We've told them don't talk to strangers, which was idiotic. We're supposed to teach them how to discern the one creepy stranger from the vast majority of humans who are fine. We are a social species. We need one another. Being able to advocate for oneself in a classroom, in a store, in a community, on the sidewalk, advocate for oneself with respect toward this other person is a key life skill. It's funny, Julie, I have a daughter who's a junior in high school. And last night we were sitting at dinner, so I have a 10-year-old and a 17-year-old. And somehow the topic turned to emails to teachers and how to write an email to teachers. And my 17-year-old actually was giving a very good lesson to my 10-year-old about how to do it. And I said to her, is this something you've been doing a long time or is this something you've just done this year? And she said, it's something I've gotten a lot better at this year. And one thing I'm seeing is that for all of the horribleness of the pandemic, boy, is it an opportunity for kids to learn how to self-advocate with their teachers and to ask for what they need. Absolutely. So the pandemic has been an opportunity to do just that. It's been if we chose it, an opportunity for us to be a little hands off as parents, because we're so busy with our jobs while our kids are home going to school, all of us in the same house, right? We've, many of us have taken that opportunity to be hands off or more hands off, allow our kids to send that email, talk to the teacher without us having to proofread it in advance or write it ourselves. That said, in some families, there's been a regression where young adults have come back home and and been treated by their parents as if they're still 15 instead of that 21-year-old, that 23-year-old who's been enjoying greater freedoms out in the world of work or the world of college or grad school. And so whether somebody grew or regressed during this pandemic has everything to do with the intentionality around 
Um, did I seek opportunity to build skills or did I seek uh, the opportunity to be sort of cocooned and completely cared for by someone else? You know, it's interesting. My parents are from India and the focus was always on the books and academics to the point where we never did chores growing up. My dad refused to pay us for any of them. We never needed to do them. I have my kids do chores. Do you feel having kids do chores makes a difference in preparing them from, for adulthood? What age should you start? What should you have them do? Yeah, so it's not, it's not my feeling. It's research um, coming out of all kinds of places, including the Harvard Grant study, which is one of the longest studies of humans ever conducted, studied humans over the decades of their life, which said, and you know, it kicked off thousands of findings, but one of them was those in the study who turned out to be professionally successful in life turned out to have done chores as children or had a part-time job in high school. And the reason being chores and part-time work when they're older teaches them, I got to pitch in, I got to be useful. I'm expected to contribute my sweat, my effort to the betterment of the whole. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I need. It's not just about the glamorous, fun things of life. It's like, get the job done. So yes, in how to raise an adult, I'm, I very much advocate uh, that parents give their kids chores starting at age two and three. I've got a list in that book of broken down um, two to three, four to five. You'd be stunned what a five-year-old is supposed to be able to do. <laughs> I didn't realize chores were important until my kids were maybe eight and 10 or 10 and 12. And I was like, wow, they have a whole lot of catching up to do. And I don't think we should pay them for chores. I think they do need an allowance. Uh, so they have some pocket money, the ability to practice saving and spending and giving to others, but I want to be able to add more responsibilities at home without paying them more money. I certainly don't get paid to clean up my house, and I don't want my kids to expect that they will be paid for this for such things. Rena, do you, do your kids have chores yet? Well, but but they don't follow through. I end up doing them. <laughs> it's like one of their chores is to unload the dishwasher. They're eight and ten. One person sweeps the floors after every meal. Other person unloads. Ju- Julie, how am I? What are they supposed to be doing at eight and ten? I'm curious what the five year old's supposed to be doing too. <laughs> okay, so Rena, your eight and ten year olds are supposed to be able to, according to this list that I found, are supposed to be able to fold clothes, learn simple sewing, um, huh. take care of personal hygiene without being told to do so, use a broom and dustpan properly read a recipe and prepare a simple meal, help create a grocery list, count and make change, take out the trash. Okay. And let me tell you what a two and three-year-old can do because this is oh, just boy. horrible. Oh, yeah. boy. And the sooner, here's the point, the sooner you start, you know, if you read McLean Duclef's amazing new book, Hunt, Gather, Parent, she really harkens back to indigenous communities uh, who still today are teaching their kids by these you know, ancient methods that end up raising kids who are competent, confident, kind, all the things we wish our kids were. And they start young by just sort of nodding in the direction of the chore, like we're making dinner. The parent nods and moves their body and the little ones follow and start to help. The older they are when we're trying to instill chores, the more um, reluctant they will be. A two to three-year-old can help put their toys away, dress themselves with some help from you, put their clothes in the hamper when they undress, clean their plate after, clear their plate after meals, and assist in setting the table, brush their teeth, and wash their face. Little ones can also dust uh, low-level things, and they can sort laundry into light and dark. <laughs> That's a two? Because there are grown men, Julie, who don't put their clothes in the hamper. <laughs> I know. And the question is why? And the point is, we let folks get away with not contributing. And it really gives them sort of a, a haughty sense of self, like I'm here to be served as mm-hmm. opposed to I'm here to contribute. And 
It deprives them of the chance to learn these important life skills. We, you know, it's not all about academics. I, I like to say it's not Kumon, it's the vacuum. Mm-hmm. Our kids need to learn to roll up their sleeves and pitch in. That's going to build a work ethic and an expectation within themselves that they will contribute to whatever community they're a part of, whether it's a house full of people their own age in their 20s or a workplace where a boss expects you to be useful and to try to anticipate how to be of greater use. Well, and that's the the idea of anticipation, of taking the initiative, of not always waiting for somebody to tell you what needs to happen. Um, One of the chores that we started to do with our younger daughter when she was four is that her designation was Toilet Paper Santa, that her job was to go down to the basement, get the big thing of Costco toilet paper, and distribute the toilet paper through the bathrooms in the house. And we have, over time, said to her, we shouldn't have to tell you. You should be noticing when this happens. And she's really done a great job with it. And she folds all our laundry. The ten-year-old that's amazing. Folds all our laundry. Yeah. These are yeah. those are great examples, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? Um, again, I'm quoting McLean Duclef, her new book, Hunt Gather Parent. She talks about how giving kids those responsibilities and holding them accountable, mm-hmm. as you did, and growing the skill, which is not just do it, but be the one who pays attention to whether it needs to be done and doing it without being asked. It gives a kid this, according to McLean this sense of I belong to the family. It's almost like having a family membership card. I'm needed. Mm -hmm. I'm taken seriously. I'm trusted. All of these um, senses of self are built uh, in these really simple ways. These mundane Mm -hmm. tasks that they do end up really contributing to a far greater thing, which is that sense of agency, that sense of being valued. Yeah, so it's all good. Good for you, gold star. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I actually have a question. I want to go one more deep dive on this chores question because I, I I really think so much of um, the chores questions where a lot of family life the rubber hits the road. So I also, as I mentioned, I have a junior, and I will say in the pandemic, the junior year, high school junior year, has not been as academically taxing maybe as it normally would be, which I am one hundred percent fine with. But one of the things that I've sometimes run into as a dilemma that people have posed to me, and I'd be curious what you say, is that for some kids who are pretty swamped academically, let's say, you know, under a more typical junior year, the question of how much should we ask them to be doing in terms of helping around the house when they are feeling really, really bogged down by academic demands? I think it's a really good question, and I feel like it gets right down to the nub of what you're working on and talking about and thinking about. So tell us, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, it's all a choice. We've decided to live in a community that has public schools that have decided that the junior year should be hell, or we've decided to enroll them in an independent school where the junior year is hell. That's a choice we've made. A society has, uh, you know, put that out there as a possibility and we've grabbed onto it. Okay. So we've decided junior year, my gosh, they won't get sleep. We'll never see them please know that you're making a choice in accepting that. I'm here to say, do not compromise their sleep. Do not compromise their meals. They still need downtime. They still need family time. They still need to be doing chores, okay? Let's not let the academic monster undermine our kids' development of work ethic, of a sense of, I belong to this family, I participate, I contribute. Obviously, everything needs to be in balance. If your kid is super stressed out about something, either already up late, it's due tomorrow, now's not the time to say, like, don't forget, you got to take out the this and, like, give a little bit of slack, 
but do not give the entire junior year slack because you're sending the absolute wrong message that all that matters to us are your academics. No, your child actually needs to know they're still loved and a valued member in this family, regardless of what grades they get. And that, you know, doing a great job undoing the dishwasher, taking the trash out, folding the laundry, that you've, you look them in the eye and smile and say, thank you so much. I appreciate you. That love that I see you kid that you're offering when they take care of business is going to bolster them in an emotional resourcefulness sense when they're stressed about this and that and the chemistry or the math, the history, the English or whatever it might be. I love that. I love that both as a duty and also as an opportunity to actually support them. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table for settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Just think of all that cash back you can get on those groceries. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today. So the future you will thank you for it. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cash back credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cash back? A getaway with the kids? A spa day for yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cash back credit card. And don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Paying for college shouldn't be the hardest part of higher education. Hi, it's Rena Ninen, co-host of the Ask Lisa podcast. I recently spoke with U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about FAFSA, the free application for student aid. Did you know you can apply for financial aid today and you'll get a response within one to three days? Check out our show notes to the link for the full interview on our Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest videos from Lisa and me. That's the Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. Okay, we have a question from a listener, and you actually mentioned jobs. At what age should kids get, quote, a real job? By real job, I mean a job with someone else being their boss, not the family, and having to answer to them. Let me note here that there's so much privilege involved in the conversation, in the topic we're having, okay? Poor families, working class families, it isn't about, hmm, should I give my child, right? It's like, you got it. You got to contribute. You got to help. And guess what? I'll tell you as a college dean, kids who came out of poor and working class environments and made it to the college I was a dean at, or any college for that matter, because they had a decent education and a mentor or two who saw them through those difficult, challenging moments, they have a tray in their toolkit that the more affluent peers lack. And hmm. it's a beautiful thing. They're accountable, self-reliant, responsible, accustomed to taking care of business instead of accustomed to let me text my parents to get them to help. Okay. <laughs> I just had to say that as a backdrop. <laughs> no, I love it. There's very important question. High school was always a traditional time. The kids had summer jobs. I uh, was a babysitter for my summer and after school jobs. That's how I earned my uh, spending money. 
um, you know, so many things have changed since I was coming up in the 70s and 80s, right, about can we even let kids who are be alone, let alone babysit other kids when they're 12 and 13. Uh, A lot of questions around that. But working for somebody else is uh, an incredibly valuable and important thing. My guess is um, really eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, if there's a job in your community that will hire kids that young, it's all very community specific about what's the minimum age to work. But um, the sooner the better. Because bosses not motivated by love, but motivated by the bottom line of did you take care of business? Um, did you think ahead to what I might need you to do? Um, those are the people that are giving our kids the very valuable feedback about how their efforts are actually viewed in the real world. When we parents tend to say, perfect, great job for every little thing they do. It feels loving, but it's undermining their sense of what is actually a great job. And if we do too much of that at home, they go out into the workforce expecting the boss to constantly tell them how amazing they are. And we've really set them up for disappointment. So real world work, Mm, eighth grade on, super valuable. And I know it's hard in communities with this high academic expectation because where's the time? There are plenty of families who realize, you know what, I got to find the time because this kid needs to develop that accountability and responsibility. And, oh, hey, here's the final bonus reason why you might. College admissions deans love essays written from about the workplace. Mm. OK, so all the enrichment. Oh, we did this so <laughs> wherever to save the whomever. They're so tired of that manufactured community service. They love the stories that emerge out of, you know, on my summer job or my my after school job. You know, I learned this and that. That is those are great stories. And they're not. That's a hot tip. That's a hot pro tip for parents out there. That is very uh, my my radar just went on. You know, Jill, you're talking about the real world. We've got this other question from a mom. Uh, about boys. And she says, I'm a single mom of a 10 year old boy. I'm so fed up of all the talking back and whining. How do I get through the preteen years? How do I raise a responsible boy who is not privileged or spoiled, but has respect and is aware of the real world? Well, this is really out of my wheelhouse. I was a college dean. I worked with college students. I raised my own 10 year olds but this is not my expertise. Of course, that won't prevent me from having an opinion. <laughs> Go Here's for it. Opinion. Go for it, Julie. Um, we are our kids' biggest role models. So what we want to be doing is saying without malice, without anger, we want to be self-regulated in our emotions and look at our 10-year-old when they're not being sassy and awful. Look at them when they when we're in a calmer moment and say, when you speak to me like this, I feel this. I just want to let you know, because I'm imagining you're not intending that. And smile and say that and say, you know, if you'd like to talk about it, I'd love to talk about it. And then just move on. Um, Our kids are looking for our attention. So the second thing I would advise is when your 10-year-old does something wonderful, is kind to a sibling, or is generous spirited in some way, is overjoyed about something, turn to them and let your face light up with a smile and say, that was so kind, or I really appreciated that you did that, or I love how happy you are about this. In other words, have more of those positive interactions where you're giving them positive feedback when they do something great that ought to incentivize them to exhibit those behaviors more and the bad behaviors less. I never realized until this pandemic happened and I was spending so much time with the kids, how much positive reinforcement can transform bad behavior. 
Absolutely. A hundred percent. All right, Julie, let's come back to your new book. Give us one tip. If you only had to say one thing that you want parents to have as they prepare their kids for adulting. Your child is not your pet or your project or the evidence of your amazingness. Your child is a unique human given to you by the universe or God or however you believe humans got here. It is a humbling joy to get to raise, shelter, feed, love the heck out of this child. Their path is not yours to craft. If you want a cardiologist in the family, go be a cardiologist, but let your kid be who they, over the course of their adolescence and young adult years, will feel a stirring within themselves about what they want to become. Root for them to combine their talents and passions and do work and find love in ways that are meaningful to them. Back off. Be respectful. It's their life. It's their turn. Oh, my God. That's so emotional. Why am I so emotional hearing you say that? That is so beautiful. No, it's deeply moving. Deeply moving, Julie. Um, I'm rooting for all of us, y'all. Yeah. I'm rooting for all of us. And I've seen so many young people constrained on the path of life by a sense of what other people need them to be. And often they feel they're only loved conditionally. I'm loved when I get the A's. I'm loved if I'm pre-med. And I am rooting for every single one of us to get out from under the noise in our heads that is what other people expect or value and to simply find our own voice. I'm often guided by the late poet Mary Oliver. Tell me, what do you want to do with this one wild and precious life? It is wild and it is precious. And I think that's why tears come to our eyes. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, this life. It certainly can be. And I'm rooting for all of us to make it. Wow. We got to end there. So <laughs> There's nothing to so add good. to that. That is beautiful. Julie, you are a gift. Your work is a gift. Thank you, Lisa. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful for your time. It's very moving. I'm goosebumpy and teary at the same time. Mm. Okay, it. speaking of gifts, we're going to give away your book. <laughs> I think, oh, that's great. I think at this so point, um, everybody knows they need it um, for themselves, for their kids. Um, so we are thrilled. We're going to have two copies of Julie's fabulous new book just out this week, Your Turn, available. Um, as always, the way we do our giveaways, just follow us on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn at the Ask Lisa podcast. Leave a comment, tag a friend, enter as many times as you'd like. And it's open to folks in the U.S., but I'm sure people outside the U.S. can also get your book. Um, and we will choose a winner next Tuesday. Julie, thank you. thank you. Thank you thank so you. much for your time. I appreciate you. Thanks. I love the work that you do. And I'm honored to get to be with you and your listeners today. So thanks to everybody who spent this time listening to us. Whew, I feel like I just went to church and I haven't even been zooming into church these days. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. So good. Before we go, though, uh, can you give us your parenting to go, Lisa? Boy, it's a hard follow up after that one. Huh? I know. <laughs> Actually, though, something Julie said reminded me of a principle that I believe very strongly, both as a psychologist and a parent, and I just want to use it to underscore um, one of the many excellent points she made, which is, as parents, we're going to get more of whatever we pay attention to. So if our child speaks to us in a snarky, or I'll even say snotty way, and we indulge that with a response and attention and energy, they will feel that that's an acceptable way of getting our attention. 
Whereas if we say, I, we don't talk that way, or when you talk to me like that, this is how I feel, try again, we would get less of it. And like you were both talking about, when we respond very enthusiastically and warmly to when they're being wonderful, we will get more of that. So think of your attention as your parenting leverage and pay attention and give energy to the things you want more of and have a very restrained and redirecting response to the behavior you want less of. It's fabulous. Thank you so much, Lisa. So grateful to Julie. The book is called Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, just released this week. So grateful Julie could join us. And I'll see you next week, Lisa. See you next week, Rena. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.